Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Today, we're looking into a building off Interstate 10 and 19th Avenue, close to downtown Phoenix. It's a giant dome-shaped building with a rectangular tower, and it's been under construction for what feels like forever. If you've ever seen this building, which is a church, by the way, you probably never knew what it was, and you're not alone. We've seen this question asked several times on local subreddits, and one person submitted it to us. In this episode, producer Taylor Seeley and reporter Uriel Garcia will take you inside La Luz del Mundo, or in English, the Light of the World Church. Welcome to the Church of the Living God, pillar and ground of the truth, the light of the world. They'll answer why it's been under construction for so long. If you look at the detail, it it blows your mind. What exactly the church members believe. Three types of principles are established in the church to guide the lives of its members. Why their church leader, Nason Joaquin Garcia, is being held in a California jail on numerous felony charges. He's sick. I don't care what he calls it. He committed crimes. We're going to prove it. And how the church members are reacting to it all. Uriel Garcia and Taylor Seeley start by taking you there. So where are we going right now? Uh, Right now we're heading to a church called La Luz del Mundo, which is a pretty popular church in the sense that people who've driven an I-10 have seen the church because of the dome-like shape. And people have seen it in construction for years. Yeah, it is so funny because I actually went to a school in downtown and I literally grew up driving past this dome-shaped church every day. And I always wondered, what is that thing? Right, and so today we're gonna, I guess we're gonna try to find out what is, what is that thing? My name is Uriel Garcia and I'm a reporter for the Arizona Republic. And right now, you're hearing what it sounds like inside La Luz del Mundo Church service near downtown Phoenix. According to the church's website, they believe in three main principles. Religious principles, like they believe in God and Jesus Christ. Civil principles, as in they respect authority and pray for the leaders of the land to do right by God and moral principles, as in they believe in free will and science, to name a few. La Luz del Mundo has seven locations in Arizona. Taylor and I visited one near downtown Phoenix a couple times in July. Once we spoke to a spokesman, and another time we attended a service. The church holds services every day. So we're passing the church right now, and and it, it looks pretty elaborate. Um, the building itself looks like there's some carving on it, like there's some flames around it. Um, of course, there's that dome-shaped like thing on top of the uh, top of the uh, the building itself, and looks like there's an, uh, an American flag, Arizona flag, and a Mexico flag, which is where the, uh, the church was founded. Now, the first thing you should know is, no, the dome and tower visible from the freeway still are not done and are not open to the public, even though plans began nearly 15 years ago in 2005. 
For now, that means the services are in a smaller temple right next to the dome. We met up with a man named Isaias Campos, the national spokesman for the church, and Ruben Cruz Ramirez, a minister to ask what's taking so long. It basically boiled down to four things. First, the temples are incredibly detailed in their designs. Um, when the spectres come, I mean, if you look at the detail, it, it blows your mind. It, it, it's amazing. It, it's, it's a museum. Once the doors open, I, I honestly think uh, in, in the, the interior would be one of the nicest looking places in the city. Taylor and I weren't allowed inside the church, but he's definitely right about the detail, at least from the outside. The church is huge. The dome on top is silver. In front of it says Iglesia La Luz del Mundo and has a photo of the church leader, Nason Joaquin Garcia. And there's a tower next door that lights up at night. I thought there were flames designed on the exterior, but a church member later told me there were water droplets. The second reason, and probably the most decisive factor is, that the temple is being built almost completely by volunteers from the church who are working for free. Besides, of course, when they need specialists for things like an elevator, for example. The third reason Isaias and Ruben mentioned was the recession that hit in 2008. And then there was a bad uh, recession. So it. It, it didn't stop us. While the recession slowed them down, Ruben said that on the plus side, construction companies were selling materials for cheaper than usual. And the fourth reason they said it took so long was securing the proper permits from the city. So these processes, any, any minor change, any detail, takes lots of months to go through. So what this happens is that if for some reason this door needs to be moved, it has to go through the process and that takes time over time over time. We obtained the public records from the city of Phoenix and can confirm the church had been in communication with the city numerous times dating all the way back to 2005. There were stipulations over the number of parking spaces, height of the tower, elevators, and more. So in all, those four reasons, city permits, a recession, and an elaborate design and the fact that it's volunteer-driven, are why the Light of the World Church of the I-10 has taken so long to be built. Now you may be wondering, why such an elaborate process or design? Why not just go with something simpler? Well, the reason goes all the way back to their early history. It all started in the city of Guadalajara in Jalisco, Mexico. In 1926, in, um, in Guadalajara, Luz del Mundo was founded as a Pentecostal church um, by the founder, Aaron Joaquin Gonzalez. That's Andrew Chestnut, a professor of religious studies at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. I wrote the first, first academic book in English on the Pentecostal boom in Brazil, and so one of my areas of expertise is, is Pentecostalism in Latin America. Pentecostal is a branch of the Protestant religion, but as for what they believe... It's a type or branch of Protestantism. Um, Pentecostals are set apart from other Protestant groups in that they, uh, they believe in the so-called second baptism, which they usually refer to as baptism by the Holy Spirit, in which in addition to the normal water baptism, Pentecostals believe that the Holy Spirit takes possession over you and sanctifies you. 
Andrew told us this leads to very passionate services where people are vocal and sometimes cry. This happened at the service Taylor and I attended. The thing is, it was rare to be Pentecostal in Mexico at the time of the church's founding. As of 2014, 81% of adults in Mexico identified as being Catholic, according to the Pew Research Center. That's already a lot. But if you can imagine, back in 1926, when La Luz del Mundo was founded, it was more like 90%, Andrew said. So, you know, you can imagine, again, the first decades were, were not easy because they weren't Catholic. And back then, part of being Mexican was being Catholic and Guadalupano, a, a devotee of the Virgin of, of Guadalupe. Andrew said La Luz del Mundo followers were persecuted in the early days in Mexico for being Pentecostals. So their churches that exist today are a strong statement saying, we're here, we're valid. It makes a statement that, you know, we're here, that we have the resources to build elaborate temples. But yeah, the size and the exterior ornateness are saying, hey, we're here, we're a major part of this urban religious landscape. The persecution of La Luz del Mundo followers in Mexico didn't last forever. They did gain followers, and actually today, they're the largest Protestant denomination in Mexico. They have millions of followers in 58 countries and some 15,000 temples, according to the church's websites. Many of the congregants are of Mexican heritage, so a lot of the temples offer Spanish language services, but there are some that speak in English. Anyway, with the church's growth came power. So yeah, their, their headquarters are in Guadalajara, and they went from being persecuted in the early days, but again, they have grown so fast that as of the 1980s, they start to wield significant political influence. Now we want to clarify, Andrew's talking about the political influence the church has in Mexico, not the United States. But it's worth mentioning the church today is still extremely involved in civic life and politics here too. Isaias, the spokesman, told us during our July interview that just a few weeks before, he and others went to Washington, D.C. to talk to representatives and leaders. He was vague about what they discussed, though. Their political um, influence was designed to help consolidate their influence in Mexico and try to achieve the same levels of respect and freedom of worship that the Catholic Church always enjoyed. They make alliances with individual politicians. They'll um, invite them to their big events and, and galas that they hold. And the understanding is that um, the leadership will help um, mobilize votes. And, and they're not alone in doing that. They ju they've just been more successful. But despite the fact that La Luz del Mundo has been successful in expanding across the world and forging political alliances, Andrew said they have a, quote, persecution complex, meaning some think society is still against them. And it's only gone worse with the recent allegations against their church leader, whom they call the Apostle of the Lord, Nason Joaquin Garcia. I just want to warn you, the next minute goes over disturbing allegations of sex abuse. We think it's important to understand, 
but it might not be appropriate for everyone. So if you want to fast forward, go ahead now. News out of uh, downtown Los Angeles. A judge has just ordered the head of La Luz de Mundo, a Mexico-based church, to remain jailed. No bail. Oh, disturbing. That is so right. There are some horrific allegations here. Now, son Joaquin Garcia is charged with rape and other sexual acts against children. Some people would probably call this a case of brainwashing or uh, where these families are influenced. In June 2019, Nason was charged with human trafficking, production of child pornography, forcible rape of a minor, and other felonies. On Monday night, my office arrested Nason Joaquin Garcia. See his photograph there. And two of his uh, co-defendants in a major sex trafficking and sex abuse case. That's the California Attorney General Javier Becerra in a press conference from June 2019. The charges include a series of 26 alleged felonies committed in Los Angeles County between 2015 through 2018. Becerra said the investigation began in 2018 after a tip was submitted to the California Department of Justice through the online clergy abuse complaint form. The four alleged victims are from Los Angeles County and were members of the church. Three of them were minors. The complaint says Nason, who is 50 years old and was living in California at the time, along with other church members, coerced the victims into performing sexual acts by telling them if they were against any of the apostles' desires, they were going against God. He's sick. I don't care what he calls it. He committed crimes. We're going to prove it. You don't do that to, to children. You don't do that to adults. You can't hide behind some religious veil. You can't act like this is something that people do all the time. Sick. At Nasson's bail hearing in L.A., a California law enforcement officer named Steven Stover said in his testimony that he found a video on Nasson's iPad. It showed Nasson having intercourse with the woman who was at the same time performing oral sex on an underage boy. Stover also said he found child pornography, including a photo of four girls naked on a bed performing oral sex on each other. At the end of the hearing, the judge posted bail at $50 million. My, my understanding is that the $50 million bail that has been imposed on Mr. Garcia is the highest bail ever imposed in L.A. County for any individual. Because there is a real fear that because he has this church with more than a million followers, that he will raise the money and he will bail himself out. And if he bails himself out, he may try to flee to the place where he had just come from when we captured him at L.A. airport, back to Mexico or somewhere else. But despite the allegations, La Luz del Mundo members are standing largely in support of their leader. We, do, we, don't also, we also do not ignore reality. We know it's a, it's a situation that's happening, it's going on. But I, I do want to rely that we have full confidence that as these allegations go through the process, the legal process that we've been, that this nation has, the judicial, uh, judicial uh, system shows us, we, we're confident that these allegations will be proven not to have the, the merit. So basically, La Luz del Mundo members believe that the evidence that will be presented in court will show that he's innocent. But this isn't the first time the church has faced allegations like these. Um, his father, Samuel Joaquin Flores, also was facing similar accusations 
in the mid and late 1990s uh, in Mexico over um, alliances and, and improper activity with, uh, with female minors, yet because of the political influence that already had been solidified by then, he basically was untouchable, so never faced any kind of criminal charges in Mexico, the father. And so it's interesting that the son is kind of repeating the pattern, being charged of, uh, uh, have, you know, under similar charges in, uh, in Los Angeles County. If you want to understand why this loyalty exists, you have to take a deep look into the relationship between the church members and the Apostle Nason. Uh, we believe that it is something that was uh, given to him by, by God and not by our choosing. What Isaias is saying is, Nason was chosen by God. Uh, a lot of more kind of evangelical, Pentecostals, the Mormons, for example, also believe that their leadership is, is chosen divinely. And it typically would be through a revelation from God or a prophecy from God that the appointed leader is said to have received. And then in the case of Luz del Mundo, where we see family leadership, um, it would be revealed to the founder, Aaron Joaquin Gonzalez, that his successor should be his son, San Juan Joaquin Flores, and then the same with his son, Nason Joaquin Garcia. So, um, you know, one could obviously point to a critique of that. Well, if it's if it's God who's making the choice, how does it happen that you know it goes from grandfather to to son to son passed on to the same family generation? But anyway, it all supposedly starts with with God revealing uh, his chosen one, his anointed one, uh, to this particular person, and obviously that person sharing it with others. So because they believe the leader is chosen by God, there is a fierce loyalty. A loyalty so dependable that Andrew said it's arguably similar to a cult. Yeah, well, I would say they see him as, <laughs> as semi-divine, and um, to the point that they're able to get away with these types of total transgressions of their own Christian ethics and morality, they're not seen on the same level as an ordinary member of the church, but uh, I would say, you know, almost godlike. And that's, that's, again, why we're seeing this type of situation. They themselves believe themselves, you know, chosen by God and God godlike, and so they're exempt from... Um, the, the morality and ethics that they preach to their congregants. According to Isaias Campos, they do not view the apostle as godlike. This is one of the things that we, we tell the church to understand his humanity. He could get sick, he gets tired, he's not a super being, he's not this almighty person that sometimes they make us believe that we believe he is or a figure of something divine. He's not, he's a human being just like every one of us. So at this point, you might be wondering, well, who are these people exactly? The followers? What are they like? Meet Abdi Lopez, a member and volunteer for the church. We met her on a day when we visited La Luz del Mundo to attend a service. I was born in the church, you can say, or in a family that was in the church. 
Um, but throughout my adolescence and, and you know, youth, I started noticing that um, it really is a choice you make. You can't necessarily say you're born into a religion because you need to believe, right? You need to understand, right? When you're a child, you go to church because your parents take you to church. But there needs to be a point when you choose to be part of that. And I feel like when I was 14, when I was when I was baptized, that's when I consider myself to be part of the Light of the World Church. And growing up in the Light of the World Church, is it was a really amazing experience. La Luz del Mundo members are not allowed to be baptized until they're at least 14 years old. Here's Isaias explaining that. Children should not be baptized, and, and, and by God. I mean, they have to make that decision on their own. This is not something that is culturally imposed. This is not something that you have to um, go through. Um, and I think that's one of the misconceptions right now about the church, that, that you have to, and if you're forced to, and if not, you're shunned by your community. It's not accurate. One of the things that we profess as a church is to follow the church you have to be willing to do so. It's worth noting that there's a growing subreddit community who would dispute what Isaias just said. This online community of former church members say there is backlash for people who choose not to get baptized and for those who leave the church. I spoke to a woman in this group named Raquel Guerrero. She left the church at 19. When she tried to return, here's what she had to say about it. If you are a member of La Luz del Mundo and you decide to leave the church and you come back, they do look at you different, treat you differently. But it is worse if you were born in the church because being born in the church is like a great blessing. She said when she tried to go back, people would scoot away from her in the pews. Men sit on one side, the women sit on the other. I remember going to church, trying to sit on the church bench, and female members would just look at me up and down and scoot away, like if I had some sort of disease or bad spirit, as they say. It was just, again, like too difficult to even try to return. But still, members of the church like Abdi see it as a welcoming community, where the rules don't mean you're in or you're out. They're just suggestions. Abdi also said choir and leadership opportunities in a church inspired her to be a teacher. She teaches chemistry at a charter school not too far from the church. And she also aspires to become an attorney, focusing on immigrants' rights. She credits the Apostle of Jesus Christ, Nason, for inspiring her to follow that path. I know his life. I've worked with him here locally in projects to, you know, to do Know Your Rights forums. And he's personally told me things too as well to not give up on my goals and to continue doing my work in the community. And he's even encouraged me. He's like, Abdi, like, think about doing other things, greater things. He's like, even in politics, he's like, think bigger, you know, because when we love our community, that that puts you aside from other politicians and from other leaders. And and I can tell you he's an amazing person. He's a great person. What I've benefited from, others can say other things, but I know in who, who he is. I asked Abdi what she thought of the accusations and the alleged victims. In reality, right now, Uriel, I can tell you 100% is that we're confident. We know in who we believed in and in what we've believed in. We've believed in justice. We've believed in respect for others and women, right? And we've learned that from him. You know, of all of all things, of all people, you know, he's the one that's taught us more how to respect others, how to treat authorities, how to honor our country, how to love our country. And there's no other person that I would consider that is most, that should not be there than him. I don't know of anybody else that should not be, you know, there than him. 
Abdi also told us that she always felt safe with Nason. But I can tell you, I know him personally. I've sat with him, you know, sitting in a table, you know, I've interacted with him as I am, you know, a woman, a young woman. And I can tell you, I've never felt safer. I've never felt, you know, more more at peace. I've seen his work and there's always people around. And I find it completely out of, out of context. Abdi said that even before the allegations, she's often felt like she's had to justify her religious beliefs. Whether it's about how she practices modesty or abstains from alcohol, or why she isn't Catholic even though she's Mexican. But it's become much more severe since the allegations. It's enraging, you know, it's enraging when we get phone calls as well. It's, it's enraging to hear strangers trying to attack us, right? Just because they are misinformed or they have assumptions or they're thinking things or whatever it is that they are, you should not attack others, not physically, not verbally, not on social media, anywhere. I think if anything, I'm learning that me going to the Light of the World Church is also me fighting for my religious liberty, right? Because this is what I believe in. You know, I actually believe that God is is with us. I actually believe that when I pray and I put my veil on and I kneel down, that God is listening to me. Neither Abdi nor the spokesman Isaias would answer the question of what would happen if their apostle was found guilty. But Isaias did make a few things clear. First, he didn't believe it was any church member's job to defend Nason. The, 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 the church under no circumstance is in the position to defend a leader. Again, the church, we're not a part of the judicial system. Um, he has his defense team, his lawyers that are defending him in trial. We, we, we're not in that position. We're in the position to state what the rights that he has. I mean... We're not saying he's innocent because, oh, we, we were crazily blinded. That's the name the judicial system gives him. You're innocent until proven guilty. And second, Isaiah said the alleged victims did deserve to be heard and the court proceedings should continue. One of the things that he has taught us is that we, we have a culture of prevention and a culture of working with the citizens. And they have the right. And these are very strong and important allegations. And if any way they felt um, that this happened, they have the right. Let them go in and, and do what they have to do. And, and, and may the Lord bless them. One of the things that we were told that he told us is pray for them. The professor Andrew told us he thought a lot was probably going on behind the scenes at the church's Guadalajara headquarters. I think a lot of the more fervent believers are convinced that the charges will eventually be dropped and and he'll return to great fanfare to Guadalajara and everything. But um, I think the upper echelons of the leadership, as we can imagine, are preparing now to um, have to choose a successor, uh, assuming that he'll be you know, locked up for a long time, if not life. As for the church members, they're confident the church will continue moving forward. It sounds like regardless of what happens with the criminal case, the church is moving forward. The church is moving forward every day. Hey, it's me, Kayla again. Taylor and Uriel, that was a really comprehensive look at a church that really only started making headlines this year. 
Can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to look so holistically at this? Um, we wanted to take a look at this church because it's uh, the temple. It's pretty uh, well known in Phoenix, um, but a lot of people don't know about the theology, the people there. And so we wanted to uh, give a better picture of who the people are that attend this church. The other reason we wanted to look into it is very basic in that the church in Phoenix is always under construction. And I know I grew up driving on the I-10 thinking, what is that thing? And um, and so when I saw people asking that same question on Reddit, and then we got the question on our forum, I was honestly really excited and I didn't realize all that it would lead to. Well, thank you both so much for that comprehensive coverage. Listeners, if you have follow-up questions, you can submit them at valley101.azcentral.com. And you can follow Uriel on Twitter at you, Johnny G. That's it for today. If you like our show, you can also leave us a rating or review on your podcast app. We may feature your comments on our new newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. To sign up for that, visit valley101newsletter.azcentral.com. We share what's coming up on the podcast, things we're loving around town, and more. As always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week.